0: Well, we, we like to feel secure in life and there are deodorant companies who try to tell us that if we use that particular deodorant, we will feel secure even when we sweat. There are banks and investment companies who who try to convince us that if we just invest our money in their bank or that company, it is safe, it is secure. There are child care facilities who seek to assure parents that if they bring their children there, their children are secure, their children are safe. We want to be secure. We want to be safe. But we all know as adults that nothing is secure, really secure, in this world. And that is disconcerting. In the Bible, we read about two roads, two ways, two foundations, and the narrow road, the broad road. The foundation on the rock, the foundation on the sand. And we know that the narrow road, the foundation on the rock, the Bible says these are secure. Well, those are nice pictures, nice metaphors, but is that really true? Is there security? Today we're in Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. And as we have started a new year here in 2018, from these verses, I want to say, Believer, believer, you are secure in God no matter what you face in life. You are secure in God no matter what you face in life. Why? Why are we secure? First reason is in verses 31 to 34, because God is for you in Jesus Christ. God is for you in Jesus Christ. Let me read those verses. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In verse 31, Paul asks, What then shall we say to these things? Well, what things is Paul referring to? Most believe that he's referring to the things that he writes in chapters 5 through chapter 8. And in chapter 5 through chapter 8, there are many amazing gifts that God bestows to the believer. Let me just list these things. In Romans 5, Paul writes that we have been justified. We have been made right with God. We have Peace with God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we stand righteous in the presence of God. Whereas our sins had once separated us from God, now we are reconciled to God, in a relationship with God. In chapter 6, we learn that we receive newness of life and that we have actually been set free from sin. Paul says, reckon yourself dead to sin. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But yes, in Christ we are set free from the power of sin and death. And Paul ends that chapter by pointing out that this is a free gift of God through faith. In, Jesus. in Romans chapter 7, Paul acknowledges that living the Christian life in this world is a constant battle because of the sinful habits and ways that reside in our bodies. But he comes to the end of chapter 7 and he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the very next verse in chapter 8 is, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In chapter 8, we learn that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, who helps us, who intercedes for us when we pray, because we don't always know exactly how we ought to pray. And he intercedes for us. In chapter 8, we learn about the new heaven and the new earth. It's what we're looking forward to when Christ comes. In the meantime, in chapter 8, verse 28, We learn that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Paul spells it out, that we might be increasingly conformed to the image, the character of Jesus Christ as we live our lives here on earth. These are wonderful truths of the gospel centered in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. These truths are the background for the passage that we're looking at this morning. In light of all that God has done and and that God is doing through Christ, Paul says, if God is for you, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? In verse 32, Paul says, Look, if God has already given us His only Son, how will He not also with His Son graciously give us all things? Jesus Christ is God's greatest gift, and all the rest of it comes in Christ. What is all the rest of it? Well, it is our present life in Christ. It is our assurance that God is working all things together for good, for our good. And it is the assurance that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There is inheritance being stored up, waiting for us who know Christ. In sending Jesus Christ, God is saying, yes, yes. To you. Yes, to you. Yes, to you. In verses 33 and 34, Paul imagines someone charging us with wrongdoing and and condemning us, but he quickly reminds us it is God who justifies, it is Jesus Christ who died for us, and he is interceding for us. These ideas come out of Isaiah 50, verses 8 and 9. Let me just read those verses. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the Sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? Now, we live in a world where there is a great deal of accusation and condemnation. Some of us grew up in homes in which there was much accusation and condemnation. We could never quite get it right. We could never quite measure up. Unkind, condemning words were spoken to us by those who professed to love us the most. Perhaps you have heard those kinds of words in your marriage. Or maybe at work. You don't measure up. You're never going to amount to anything. You can't cut it. You're not going to go far. These are words of accusation. Words of condemnation. And they easily bring inner devastation. Maybe you have learned to accuse and condemn yourself as a result of the things that have been said to you while growing up. In fact, maybe you have spent so much of your life trying to control things. You've learned to condemn others yourself all in an attempt to just try to protect your soul. Maybe you've attended a church in your past, where you experienced accusation and condemnation because of legalistic preaching and teaching, trying to hold people accountable to rules and regulations that are not in keeping with the way of Jesus. And so for you, Christianity became a message of failure and condemnation, inability to measure up, And then I don't want to leave out the accusation and condemnation spoken into our hearts by the evil one, by Satan, the adversary, the accuser of the believers. Look at what you're doing, he whispers. And you call yourself a Christian? You think you are a Christian? What a hypocrite. Now, I do not want to minimize in any way the destructive power of, of sin. Right now our society is very open about sin, especially the sins of sexual abuse and political corruption, but they don't even use the word sin. And they don't use the word sin because sin has a vertical dimension and it is the vertical dimension that is left out of all of these discussions. Sin is not just against one another. Sin is disobedience against the gracious commands of God. Sin is an offense against others and ourselves, but it is always primarily an offense against God and His goodness. We are accountable to God. And so, yes, accusation has a place. Condemnation, judgment has a place. God judges our sins. If you are someone who practices disobedience or uh, live a sinful life before God, do not think that God just sort of turns a blind eye to it. God has no blind eyes. He sees it all. In fact, whenever we sin, whatever sin it is, we are always in the presence of God. He is close, as close to us as our breath. And we're sinning right in His presence. Our sins reveal our rebellious and prideful hearts toward God. And this is why Paul's words are so powerful. Christ Guide for our sins. Jesus Christ bore the guilt of our sins. God in Christ bore his own wrath against sin so that we might receive forgiveness and life by faith in our resurrected Lord Jesus. Are you a sinner? Am I a sinner? Yes, to both questions. But in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. And even though this world and and the powers of darkness may condemn us, they can do nothing to change God's verdict of not guilty in Jesus Christ. Every so often you might hear the phrase, Become a new you. If you Google that phrase, you will find all kinds of ways that that you can become a new you, a better you. But the problem with all of this stuff is that it is all dependent upon our ability to reinvent ourselves. Sinners cannot change their hearts. Only God can do that through Jesus Christ. And he has provided Jesus Christ as the only one who can bring a new you, a new me, about. Men and women, it's time to turn away from accusations and condemnations. It's time to turn away from our sins and to embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, Lord and King In Jesus Christ, God is for you. And that's all we need. Nothing can threaten our life in Christ. In fact, through faith in Christ, you and I can actually live a righteous life in this broken world. Not perfectly, but we can actually live a righteous life. Because there is no fear of judgment. Because God is for us in Jesus Christ. So yes, we are secure in God no matter what we face in life because God is for us in Jesus Christ. And then also it's because God loves you in Jesus Christ. God loves you in Jesus Christ. Look at verses uh, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If verses 31 to 34 kind of have a, a feeling of a courtroom acquittal in mind, not guilty, There's a wonderful transition in the next verses. We move out of the courtroom into a relationship. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not long ago, a seminary professor asked 120 of her seminary students, Do you believe that God loves you? Out of 120 Christian students preparing for Christian ministry, only two, two, said they believed that God loves them. Now they all knew, they all know what the Bible says. But only two could believe that God actually loves them. What about you? Who loves you? Who do you love? This is a big world, and in the bigness of this world we value those who actually love us. In fact, we sometimes find it difficult to believe that anyone would actually or could actually love us. Some of us have been betrayed and rejected by those who say they love us. Love can be a very scary thing. In 1 John, we read that God is love. His essential nature is love. In fact, the whole Bible is a story about God so loving the world. Over and over we see how God lovingly and graciously extends Himself in order to rescue and redeem mankind from the guilt and destruction of sin, rebellion, and pride. Beginning in Genesis 3.15, we find a promise from God to send a Savior. And that Savior is Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He lived as a man. He is a man. He gave Himself to be crucified on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. He did this in order to redeem for Himself out of the world a people. A people for Himself. He did this to redeem you and me from our sins. Well, think about your sins. There are probably a number of specific sins that you are well aware of. Some of these sins go back to younger days. Some of these sins are present right now. Some of these sins are so current and they are right there before our minds. And God knows all about them. Jesus gave his life for those sins. He did it because he loves you. He loves me. Sometimes we experience deep trials in our lives and we wonder if God loves us. Notice what Paul says in verse 35 Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword separate us from the love of Christ? Actually, Paul experienced all of these things. We may experience some of these things and wonder whether or not God loves us. In verse 36, Paul quotes from Psalm 44, verse 22, and he's using that verse to make the point that in this world we are bound to experience these things. But in verse 37, Paul says, no, none of these things will separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ, Paul says, goes through these circumstances, but we are victorious through Jesus Christ who loved us, he says. And then Paul seems to sort of get carried away. In in verses 38 and 39, he, he just tries to convey the overwhelming certainty that he has concerning God's love. The love of Christ. He says, neither death nor life. Well, for us, it's either we're either alive or we're dead, right? Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers. Here he's thinking about all the spiritual forces, both angels and demonic forces in the heavenly places. Nor things present, nor things to come. That's all of history nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Basically, Paul is saying that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, for those of us who have been raised in the church or who have been attending church for a good number of years and perhaps even uh, being regular Bible readers, Sometimes I think that there is a tendency to take the reality of God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for granted. After all, there is a sameness that can develop in our practice of Christianity that tends to dull our experience and our belief in God and His love. In addition to this, it is often the case that the cares and disappointments of life deplete us from any ongoing experience of God's love in our lives. If this is your present experience, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer. Actually, Angie pointed out this verse to me just this past week. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, Paul prays, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. I would encourage all of us to make that prayer part of our ongoing prayers. Oh God, direct my heart into God's love, into your love, into Christ's perseverance. I would also encourage us to take time when we are alone in the presence of God. Now, for many, that is not easy. In fact, for many people, they have a hard time being alone in their own presence. And they always have to have music or some kind of noise or the television going on in the background. just can't sit quiet in the presence of God. I would encourage you to do this. Shut it all off. Put your phone away. And just sit. Just sit in quietness. In your heart and your mind, you are praying, O Lord, direct me into God's love and Christ's perseverance. From Monday through Wednesday of this past week, I attended a retreat for NAB pastors. We were out at Village Creek Bible Camp in Iowa. And the purpose was to have solitude and silence in the presence of the Lord. Well, when you get pastors together, uh, solitude and silence is pretty difficult to find because there's just so much to talk about. We discuss our ministries, our joys, our challenges. We talk a whole lot of theology. But I had purpose to spend time alone with God. And so I regularly dismissed myself from those conversations after the meals to get back to my room, to sit quiet and alone in the presence of God. On Tuesday, it was a beautiful cold day. I decided to take a walk, and I was walking, and I saw the stables and the horses outside from that camp. I thought, you know, maybe I could pet one of those horses. Now, I've got to tell you that I don't have a whole lot of experience with horses. I've, you know, I've gone horseback riding and that sort of thing, but uh, I'm not, you know, really comfortable around horses. But I went over there and, and, and one of the horses came to me. So I tentatively reached out my hand with a glove on it and stroking that horse's long nose. And it would kind of move a little closer to me and I would move a little <laughs> further back. And stroking that horse's nose. And then I turned away to walk away. I started weeping. I just started weeping for the beauty of that animal. So big, so powerful. And I was reminded of the presence of God and His power and His beauty and His love. And I couldn't stop weeping. God spoke to me in the horse. Well, why not? If he could use Balaam's ass in the Old Testament, he can use anything. God didn't say anything like that I could say, here's a word from the Lord. He just reminded me of his beauty and wonder and love. If you have not entered into eternal living in the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, who is the King, I urge you to repent of your sin and your pride and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to save you. I don't know of any other religion in the world who makes the promises That Christianity that God makes in the scripture. I don't know of any other religious leader in the world who has ever lived who asks people to enter into a personal relationship with Him or her. Usually what they're asking is for money. Jesus says, Come to me, He's alive. And because He's alive, we can have a relationship with Him. But it's by faith because we can't see Him. If we could see Him, we could come to Him and say, Oh yeah, Lord, I want You. But we can't see Him. But He's alive. And He calls you to come. Repent. Surrender. Throw your pride away and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in His kingdom beginning right now. And if you do know Christ, in 2018 I urge you to plow up some new ground in your experience with the Lord. Aren't you tired of the same old, same old? God loves you. And he is calling all of us into a deeper experience and appreciation of his love. Amen.